Greetings. You are about to hear one of a multi-part series on the dedication of Solomon's Temple, entitled Restore the Glory, by myself, Dan Augsburger. I shared these presentations in the fall of 2015 in the Stanbro Park SDA Church in Watford, England, which is a northern suburb of London. In this series, we look at the construction and the dedication of Solomon's Temple, in doing so, however, we compare the building and construction of that temple with the prior construction and dedication of the first tabernacle in the wilderness and the subsequent construction and dedication of the second temple, which was constructed after the exile. We will also look at the construction and the dedication of the temple of our hearts. I believe you will learn much from these presentations and will be blessed. I hope you'll be able to hear all of them. They can be found at my website, discipleheart.com. If you have further questions or want to communicate with me for some other reason, you can write me at path to prayer, P A T H number two prayer, path to prayer at gmail, G M A I L, gmail.com. Path to prayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. I appreciate your taking the time to listen, and I pray that you will be blessed. Think for a moment. Uh, of something that's found in Matthew, the 10th chapters we're beginning this evening. It speaks of the time when Jesus called the disciples to go out and work. He said he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then in verse 8 he said, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of, God, of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. We are told that those promises are as true for today as they were back then. And I hope that the day will come, and it fits somewhat with, with what we're studying about this evening, that our churches will be prepared someday to truly be places of healing. There are many reasons why God doesn't always heal. Sometimes, um, you know, God will, will not heal someone supernaturally when he can heal them naturally. I think that's, a, that's a, an important truth to know. There are other times, like Job, there's the great controversy going on. But just the same, God wants to do a great work. And so, uh, as I was thinking of the anointing service that would take place later, I just wanted to encourage you with a story that comes from Mauritius that we learned there, regarding, I think, a family member of one of your members. It has to do with the uh, Vitry family down in Mauritius. Uh, at the time, she was Catholic, he was Anglican. Uh, they had promised not to contend over religion. And uh, at some point, meetings were being held by a pastor of our church. friend attended meetings, took notes that he shared uh, with her husband since the latter was deaf. He read the notes, passed them on to uh, his wife, and she began reading and liked what she was hearing, and therefore they invited someone to come and study the Bible with them. An ever-vigilant neighbor uh, noticed what was going on and alerted the, the local priest that his members were studying with Adventists. And so he came to the door and asked what was going on. Is it true, he asked, that you're inviting uh, people in to study the truth? Yes, she said. Well, I forbid you to study with this individual, but they are good words that we are studying. If you continue to study, I will forbid you to attend the church. 
Thank you, she said, Father. If you continue to study, I will excommunicate you. Thank you, Father. And uh, finally, when he began to make threatening, she pushed him out of, the, out of her house. And he gave instruction to the school that the children there, the Catholic children and the Hindu children, were not to uh, have anything to do with the Adventist children. That did not dissuade her. She was truly a woman of God, and she was going to serve God no matter what. Well, the story is told about how one of her children by the name of Hede became desperately sick with meningitis. In those days, uh, 80% of the people who contracted the disease died. Death was approaching on the third day, and on the third day it became obvious that Hede was dying. A village nurse came over accompanied by the school teacher, and they were doing their best to encourage and, and help the distraught family. Taylin, wanting to make a difference, absented herself from them and uh, went to, uh, to talk with, uh, with others and to get something out of the kitchen. And when she returned, she was met by stony silence. Something was wrong. So she began looking from person to person at her little girl and finally asked the question, did she die? And while she'd been away, she had truly passed away. And uh, obviously, she was very upset. Thank you. And uh, she told them to leave and for them to leave her alone with her little girl. And so they did, and they heard nothing. They closed the door. They heard nothing for what seemed like a, a long, long time. And they finally became very curious, so they opened the door just a crack. And looking in, they saw an interesting sight. The mother was on her knees begging God, praying to God, but sitting up in the bed next to her was her little girl that uh, the nurse had found to be dead some time before. It's a true story that comes out of Mauritius that, that God restored that little girl in response to the, to the mother's prayer. Uh, another time uh, when Talyn was sick and she was having, um, they were giving her some vaccinations or a shot against malaria, I think it was, her arm became extremely infected. And uh, the nurse was coming out to work with her and it was so full of pus that they would pull off the bandage and, and, and it would just look terrible. And the doctors had been discussing her situation. They said, you know, you need to bring her to the hospital uh, because we need to amputate her arm, but don't tell her ahead of time. And so the nurse was working on encouraging her to come. But she made the statement. She said, I will not give credit to a doctor for what God doesn't do. And so, uh, and so she stayed. She said, just put the bandage on. And uh, she went to bed that night. I'm guessing she must have prayed about the situation because in the morning the bandage had fallen off and the arm was completely healed. There were just two little red marks. It's really quite an, an amazing story of, uh, of God's blessing. Another time, this valiant soldier of the cross was in her room. I have to share one last little story. And uh, she was having her secret time with Jesus in the Bible because there's a, a relationship between our relationship with Jesus and God's ability to use us. And she heard a great deal of commotion outside in front of the house. She lived very close to where there was a river, uh, where there was the highest railroad bridge in the country of Mauritius. And... Uh, when she went outside, she found all these people running by, uh, running towards the river and making quite a commotion. Though the weather was beautiful outside, uh, the water had suddenly risen in the river and the ladies who'd been washing their clothes in the river, they'd gotten out, but 
They'd left behind a little girl on a rock in the middle of the, of the river and the water was rising quickly and it looked like the water would take her away. Strong men were doing their best to uh, rescue her, but they were finding no way because the current was so fast. Taylene had run out with her Bible in her hand and she, for some reason, which I don't understand, Edwin, uh, the relative that told me, said she took her Bible and she threw it and said, God, take your word, but save this child. And when the Bible hit the water, the water went right down to the level of mud. And she rushed, they rushed across, they grabbed the river, I grabbed the child and brought the child back. And then the water came back up and swept over the rock. But the child was, was rescued as a result of someone who had great faith in God. You know, as you move into this new sanctuary, it's all about the power of God. Living in such a way and relating in such a way that God can use you in a great way. And for those who are choosing to be anointed later, we're looking to the power of God to do work. There's not magic in the one praying. There's not magic in the oil. Those are just representative of our desire to have God work. And obviously we're asking that it, if it be God's will, if it's for his glory and for the person's good, that the healing would take place. So when you're praying, please uh, pray and ask that God would bless those moments of anointing, that truly his will would be done. And, uh, and then don't stop praying. We're going to do it privately, so it won't be done in front of everyone, but continue to ask that God would bring a healing if it's his will. Thank you so much. Now we're going to turn to our prayer time. And um, as you know, it's a quiet time. Ask that God would work in your own lives relative to healing. In you or with someone else, all of those things play a factor in the degree to which God can manifest his presence in this sanctuary. And after that, um, Amy's going to be singing and consider her song a prayer. Let's take time to pray. Father in heaven, it's a privilege to be here this evening. Rose and I have not been here since the work began. But it is with joy and with gratitude that we've moved into this special part of this church. Dedicated, Father, long ago and will be rededicated in a special way to you. What a privilege it is to meet together to learn and to pray this evening. Please join us this evening in this first service. Please forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Please apply the blood of Jesus liberally to our hearts and to our lives. Please purge us of self and send the Holy Spirit that our lives would be changed by the time that we spend. Father, they have not come to hear me. They have come to hear from you. Do not disappoint them. Be a very present, though unseen guest. For Jesus' sake and for the success of this church, might each person leave knowing that you love them and that you've been with them this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wanted to review just a, a little bit this evening.
what we've been learning about this week as we get started. As you know, we've been studying about the construction and the dedication of Solomon's temple, a theme that I think we know retrospectively was absolutely uh, a plan that came from God. When we began Sunday evening, we looked at how David prepared for the building of the temple, how devoted he was, how much he gave, above and beyond what you know, he had even planned. I believe mirroring the love of God in giving Jesus, giving his very best, giving all of heaven to us. Monday, we talked about the actual construction of the temple, looking at the precision, looking at the skill used, looking at the preciousness of the materials, the perfection of design. And, and I was hoping to convey something of what Jesus has done working in our lives. Tuesday, we looked at how Solomon pursued the building, God's plan, but done sometimes in his way. And it was somewhat of a discovery of ourselves. We often get excited about working for God, but we try to add or improve, and it's not always an improvement. Last evening, we talked about restoring the presence of God, and I talked primarily about the return of the ark because it was only after the ark returned that the presence of God was again manifested in those temples when, you know, in the early tabernacle and, the, uh, and Solomon's temple for the physical ark, but especially when Jesus came in person. That is when the full manifestation of God appeared in the second temple after the exile. And obviously, after the Spirit came upon the early church members uh, at the time of the early church. Well, this evening, we want to talk about restoring the power of God. Now, I want you to remember that we're talking about the four temples as we get into this subject. In the tabernacle, the power of God came, you know, as the people were in relationship with God, and it was a very visible thing. They could see the, you know, the, the pillar that was there, and with that pillar came the powers they went out against their enemies. With Solomon, um, we're going to discover tonight the way that the power came, the visible manifestation of God's power. In the second temple, it was a different situation because the, the exterior part of the temple was increasingly becoming dimmer because there was a brighter light that came. And, and we learned earlier in the week that the third temple was actually a more powerful, a greater temple than the first or the second, even though people cried because it wasn't as beautiful outwardly as Solomon's temple. And Jesus said when he was here, greater works than these you will do. And so the temple of our hearts potentially should be even greater than, than when Jesus was there in the second temple, somehow. There should be a, a greater manifestation of God taking place in our lives. However, in that early church temple, in that temple of the heart, I'm going to share a secret with you that we don't talk about much. What is the Christian's power? Jesus talked about it in his life. And it's one that we don't think about much. But I believe it will be a real 
paradigm shifter in your thinking. In fact, I'm convinced of that. And so we're going to start and see what the Lord has in mind for us this evening. This evening. Let's start with the, with the overview. Let's look, if you would, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 4. 2 Chronicles 6, verse 4. And we're going to be looking, we're going to be looking at the dedicatory time and what all went on and what that speaks to what your church should be all about. Okay? The first thing that we find, reading chapter 6, verse 4, Actually, we can start in, in verse 1. Then Solomon, this was after the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. We're going to talk about the glory coming, the glory restored tomorrow evening. Then Solomon spoke, verse 1, The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father, David. The first thing that we find in the time of dedication was a very sincere and humble acknowledgement that God had been faithful. I believe that the strongest motivator, the strongest tie that we have to the Lord Jesus, in many cases on a practical basis, is our gratitude. It's when people have been delivered from a disease, when people have been protected from some danger, when they have been delivered from, from the load of sin and they are grateful, that is when they have the most childlike relationship with Jesus. It's not just a, a theory, it is something that they have experienced. And so Solomon there is talking about, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke uh, with his mouth to my father David. He said, since the day that I brought my people, saying, since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I've chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem. Not only was there an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness and his love, but there was an awareness that they had been chosen in a very special way. You're not coming to just a building. You're not coming to just a church. You're coming to, I believe, a very special church with a very special purpose in this world and a very special purpose in the city of London. And Solomon quotes God where he says, Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. Ah. Spoke to the purpose. The purpose of the church is not to be known mainly for their social concern, not to be known for, you know, felt-need seminars, good sermons, beautiful music, but especially, and I pray that this will be true, I long to be a part of a church like this where when people go home, they, they will say, Jesus was there today. And when they go to their neighbors, they don't say, we have an amazing pastor. They will say, you know, when we go, there is the power of God in our church. Jerusalem was chosen because there the name of God was to be manifested. My brothers and sisters, we all play a role in bringing the manifestation of God's name. Would you not join me and join your brothers and sisters saying, by the grace of God, I will be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Did you hear me? I'm going to do all I can to live for God and surrender every day. 
and surrender fully so that nothing will impair what God is trying to do. Yet I've chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there and I have chosen David to be my peop- over my people Israel. Solomon was very aware that, that God had made choices and it was in gratitude to, to the choices made on behalf of the people of Israel and on behalf of his family that he was dedicating this temple that so much had been spent you know, to put together. It says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. There was a recounting of the work of God. It has been said there is no danger except as we forget how God has led us in the past. Don't forget what God has done and become better acquainted with how God has led. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build uh, the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build. There was also a sense of, of sacrificing and a sense of humbling. David had wanted to, but he recognized that God had given a very clear command and he was willing to humble himself in order to obey God. And a church should be a place where the members collectively say, I am willing to die to self, I'm willing to die to my personal opinions for the sake of God's will. Did you hear me? David was willing to not do what he wanted to do most because God said, you're not the one. And there are times God says to us, you're not the one. Instead of becoming bitter or becoming part of the loyal opposition, our part is to say, we will follow God. We will acknowledge God. We will support what God is doing. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for, notice this, I have built the temple for the name of the Lord. This place is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything should be to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, remember, the temple is not something in a tent in the backyard. It's not some beautiful gilded building like we have that was you know, overlaid with gold like we had in, in Solomon's day. God's temple resides in each one of your hearts. Did you hear me? And therefore, as you go through your daily activities, be it at home or if you're going to the university or you work somewhere, everywhere you go, remember that you are part of the temple of God. And that, yes, you may have a job, you may have a title, you may have a function, but preeminently in your life, it should be about Jesus. Did you hear me? A church that is busy about Jesus is a church that would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you want that? As someone said, we know what God can do, but we have yet to see what man can, I mean, we know what uh, man can do, but we have yet to see what God can do. Wouldn't you like to be a church where God is unhindered to work in a great way? Make a decision. Make a decision for the rest of your life of everything you have and are or ever will be, that it will be fully dedicated to God to walk with him step by step moment by moment. Please, my brothers and sisters. It continues. And verse 11, And there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with the children of Israel. 
Solomon knew that without the ark, the temple didn't mean anything. And we learned last night that the ark was only an enclosure, albeit a very expensive enclosure, because if the law was not there, it lost its value. And my brothers and sisters, it's true the ark had the mercy seat, and we tend to focus on the mercy seat because we all are sinners, and we desperately need the mercy seat. But without the law below, none of it works. Did you hear me? And when you think of the law, just think of it as the transcript of the most amazing, perfect person in all the world. Did you hear me? It is not the negative thing that many people want to make it. Then Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication. Then he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a, a bronze platform and goes on and towards the end of the verse it says, and he knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. It was a place where much prayer took place. And in the book of Isaiah, God said, my house shall be what? A house of prayer for all people. And a house that is, God that is fulfilling the purposes of, of God will be a, a house that has much prayer going on. But prayer that is not casual. Solomon got on his knees and he prayed because he knew that in prayer he was in the presence of the Most High God. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and you have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this, therefore this day. Not only was prayer to be a part of what went on, but also praise. This morning I was having worship for the staff at the, uh, at the union and at the, at the union conference and I pointed out a quotation of Ellen White where she said, if we were to praise God more, we would have more to praise him for. It says when we, when we acknowledge his gifts, he will acknowledge our needs. This should be not only a place where we make requests, but where we are giving testimonies of prayers being answered, of the blessings of God. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you. We live in a world that is highly distracted. When we give testimony, when we focus on that, we realize that the God that we serve is much greater than all the gods and the idols and the values that the world says are so important. We continue. We talked about how you have kept your promise. Verse 16, Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk in my law as you have walked before me. Brothers and sisters, there's a condition. It's not like God says, You're my people, you can do whatever you want. God says, If you walk... With me, If you walk according to this book, you'll be my people and I will be able to bless you. We continue. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet, 
Now we're in verse 19. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O God, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open towards this temple day and night towards the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. He said, God, make this a place where not only prayers go up, but answers come down. Not only where prayers go up, but answers come down. Notice what else he says. A place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. This is also to be a place of forgiveness, a place where we seek God for forgiveness and receive it, and where we seek forgiveness from each other when necessary and receive it from each other. When you come to church, it should be like coming to a little heaven on earth. Did you know that? And when you go into the home of one of the members here, you should be going to a home that's like a little bit of heaven. Did you hear me? We should experience heaven now. Is it impossible? Only if we don't have faith. God wants to do more in our lives and in our homes than we could possibly imagine because we are all walking advertisements for God. He's wanting to do a great, great work. So not only would this place be a place of prayer, but also a place of forgiveness. Also, if anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge. It's also to be a place of integrity and justice. A place of integrity and of justice. A place of prayer. A place of forgiveness. A place of integrity and of justice. He continues. Or if your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. He says, when people make mistakes, when they return and confess your name and pray, forgive. It will also be a place of sincere and real confession. We don't like to talk about that too much these days, but, but a healthy church and a healthy family is an entity where when people make a mistake, they're not afraid to say, you know, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. There's nothing harder than to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't know how to say, I made a mistake. Did you know that? Hard to be in an organization. It's hard to be in a family. It's hard to be in a marriage where people don't know how to say, I made a mistake, will you forgive me? Because when there's lots of forgiveness being asked and being given, my, it makes life so much more a pleasure. We continue. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. In other words, he acknowledged there are times when people make mistakes, but God, please, please forgive them. 
He goes on. He even mentions, and I'm not going to read all of this, if you look at verse 32, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray, then hear from heaven and do it according to all for which the foreigner calls. In other words, when a stranger comes, he says, make this a place of such blessing that when they've come with respect, that you can pray for them and see a great difference in their lives as well. And 36, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land far and near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we sin, we've done wrong, we've committed wickedness. And when they return to you with what? All their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they've been carried. And pray towards their Uh, Pray towards the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you've chosen, towards the temple which I built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayers and their supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people. In other words, God, when people have truly offended you, but they have a change of heart, hear their prayers and restore them. If your church meeting the sanctuary has the elements of what I've just talked about, it will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. But what is the secret of power? What is the secret of power? Let me share with you. Remember I told you that, that the temples were all about Jesus. Jesus was present in the, you know, the objects of the sanctuary of the first tabernacle. Jesus was present in the objects of Solomon's temple. Jesus was going to be ob- uh, present in the objects of the, uh, of the second temple, and he would be present in the lives of the people of the temple of the heart, right? We all agree. Now, Jesus said something, and this is very, very significant. When the day of Pentecost came, and I'm reading now from the book of Acts, I'll just read it for you, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. In other words, they were praying together. They had spent 10 days trying to become right with God and with each other. And suddenly the Holy Spirit had come in great power. And every person there was filled because they all joined in. Brothers and sisters, come and join in with your brothers and sisters praying. Don't just come out because I'm here. Come out no matter who's here because miracles will take place as you pray together. Well, when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the disciples had one ambition, and that was to reveal the likeness of Jesus. That's what they wanted. And so they rejoiced, and they began working together, showing a love towards each other that even everyone else recognized this is because they have been with Jesus. But what was the power of the early church? What was the, early, the power of the early church? Because the power of the early church, would you agree, would be the power in our day. How do we restore the power in our day? 
Is it 10 days of praying? As long as we're praying, there'll be power? I'd like to suggest the secret is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look up Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. And then I'm going to share with you just a few verses. It says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me, right? All you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. But how does that rest come? Is it something that you think, you know? No, it says, take my yoke. What was the yoke that Jesus had? Two things. One was the yoke of service and the other was the yoke of obedience. I assume that in England, historically, they used to put yoke on oxen, right? Where they would work together. When I was a child, I would go to the south of France and, and my uncle would put you know, a yoke on the, on, on the back of oxen and they could haul huge wagons of, of hay down the mountainside without difficulty. Well, Jesus wants us us to take his yoke and that is the yoke of obedience because that's what happens when you're yoked up and the yoke of service but he says one other thing and here's the secret of power what does he say he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest Jesus said take my yoke and learn from me Notice just a couple of quotations. I must share this. It is not our privilege to claim special favors of the world. We must consent to be poor and despised among men until the warfare is finished. That may happen. The members of Christ are called to come out and be separate from the friendship and spirit of the world. Their strength and their power consist in being chosen and accepted by God. That's where your power is being chosen and accepted by God. Now here's another one. All who seek to uplift themselves by conforming to the world set an example that's misleading. God recognizes as his those only who are to understand that their power lies in their meekness and their lowliness of heart. Or We read that actually it is in meekness and lowliness of heart that we find our power. Here it's even plainer. This is from, from uh, another book, and I'll be happy to supply these tomorrow night if you, if you come. The meekness and the lowliness of Christ is the Christian's power. It is indeed more precious than all things which genius can create or wealth can buy. Do you want to be a powerful Christian? It is found in those who are humble and meek. You don't believe me? Listen to this one. If true goodness, purity, meekness, lowliness, and equity are dwelling in the heart, the fact will be manifested in the character. These are all gentle characteristics. And such a character is full of power. Here's another one. Spiritual success comes only to those who've learned meekness and lowliness in the school of Christ. Another one. Mildness is not weakness. It is an evidence of power. 
To refuse to yield an opinion when it's best to yield is not an evidence of strength, but of selfishness and weakness. Do you want to restore God's power to your church? It is in humility and meekness as we relate to each other. In the Bible, Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. And Jesus said, you must be like me. And if we want to be like Jesus, we will be humble and meek. But not so that we can be benevolent nobodies to be walked upon, but because it's in that relationship that the power of God can come in us and do things in us which cannot be done any other way. Finally, one more, and then we're done this evening. Let my life, my patience, my long-suffering, my forbearance, my meekness, my lowliness be worked out in your character. Then you have power. Do you want to restore the power? Not only come and pray, not only come and extend forgiveness, not only have those kinds of godly relationships that we've talked about, not only remember the past and praise God for the present, but come in meekness and lowliness before Jesus and in reference to each other and you will have truly restored New Testament power to your church. I know that's what Jesus wants. If you do that, this church will be full to the gills because the Spirit will bring people here to be a part of that kind of congregation. Thank you so much. You have just heard one of a multi-part series on the construction and dedication of Solomon's Temple given by myself, Dan Augsburger, at the Stanbro Park Church in the fall of 2015. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. You can find the rest of the presentations at my website, discipleheart.com. Let me spell that for you. Discipleheart, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-H-E-A-R-T, discipleheart.com. Perhaps you have a question that you'd like to pose to me directly. If so, feel free to write me at path to prayer at gmail.com. Let me give you the spelling, P-A-T-H, number two, P-R-A-Y-E-R, path to prayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.